You're listening to an event from the U.S. Institute of Peace, part of the USIP Podcast Network. For more information about our work around the world, visit usip.org and check us out on social media. Well, good afternoon, everybody. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you, Bill, for the warm introduction. And uh, thank you to our guests, uh, our uh, distinguished guest from the Parliament of Moldova, um, and uh, of course, uh, Ambassador Ursu. Uh, as Bill said, I'm Jorgen Andrews. I'm uh, here with the Center for Russia and Europe. And uh, it's our pleasure to have this, our first uh, inaugural Moldova event for a new effort that we are undertaking on Moldova. Uh, I'd like to offer just a few brief remarks to set the stage for our panel discussion. Uh, and then I will introduce uh, Ambassador Ursu to give some, some remarks off the top. Uh, and then after that, we'll have a conversation with our two distinguished guests, uh, Mihai Papshoy, who's Deputy Speaker of the Parliament of Moldova, uh, and of course, uh, Ambassador Bill Hill, a global fellow at the Wilson Center, and a former U.S. diplomat who twice has served as the head of the OSCE mission in Moldova. Today's discussion uh, on Russia's malign influence in Moldova is uh, both important and extremely timely for a number of reasons. Uh, first, we all recall that one of Russia's aims when it launched its war in Ukraine was to establish a land corridor all the way across southern Ukraine and eventually to get to Transnistria in Moldova. Uh, just a few days ago, on November 30th, um, I think most of us heard Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov uh, who said, and I quote, Moldova is actually in the process of preparing to become the next victim of the hybrid war that the West has unleashed against Russia. If that's not a clear threat, I don't know what is. And then just yesterday, uh, U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken hosted Romanian Prime Minister Marcel Celacu uh, here in Washington. And in his public remarks to the media before the meeting, uh, Prime Minister uh, Celacu uh, urged Secretary Blinken to, quote, take into consideration a special relationship with the M Republic of Moldova. It's the most vulnerable country, the second most vulnerable uh, country after Ukraine. And the Republic of Moldova is subjected to hybrid warfare directed against the president, Maya Sandu, and against democratically elected government. So let's think about that for a moment. Uh, the leader of a NATO ally and an EU member state used nearly half of his public remarks with the US Secretary of State to urge that the United States maintain a special relationship with Moldova to help protect it from Russian malign influence. As I said before, today's discussion is both timely and important. In so many ways, Moldova's story is very inspiring. Uh, here in America, we have a famous children's story called The Little Engine That Could. Uh, it's about a small but courageous and intrepid uh, train engine who uh, overcomes great obstacles uh, to climb a big mountain and reach his goals. Uh, Moldova is a lot like that little engine that could. Uh, since its independence, Moldova has faced daunting obstacles, including, to cite just a few examples, a 30-year frozen conflict in Transnistria, sparked by Russian-backed separatists, uh, a Russia-fueled money laundering scheme that led to the theft of $1 billion, which at the time was a significant portion of, of Moldova's GDP, uh, state capture for a period of time by a single oligarch and a legacy of undue influence by other oligarchs, the near-complete saturation of the information space by Russian media and propaganda institutions, near-complete energy dependence on Russia, and finally, Russia's heavy interference in Moldova's elections and governance through financial and other support to certain Moscow-friendly political parties, uh, politicians, and oligarchs. But just like that little engine that could, Moldova seems determined to overcome these obstacles and reach its declared destination, which is full membership in the community of European democracies and free markets. And never before has Moldova's compass remained so fixed on its European future. Since President Sandu uh, was inaugurated in 2021, her government has survived a Russia-backed plot to overthrow it, battled a flood of Russian disinformation and survived the public protests that resulted, has largely diversified its energy demand away from Russian sources, has accepted the highest per capita number of Ukrainian war refugees, and uh, implemented reforms that were sufficient to earn a positive recommendation for opening EU accession talks. Clearly, Russia is working harder than ever to destabilize Moldova and divert it from its European trajectory. 
Now, perhaps more than ever, Moldova needs steadfast partners. In that spirit, uh, it's my pleasure to introduce uh, Mr. Viorel Ursu, Ambassador of the Republic of Moldova to the United States, to deliver remarks on Russia's malign influence and how the United States can further augment Moldova's efforts to build resilience. Ambassador Ursu is a dedicated transatlantic scholar and statement, uh, statesman. He has worked and studied in the United Kingdom, Belgium, Poland, Switzerland, France, Spain, and a little-known uh, university here in the United States called Harvard. Uh, with two master's degrees in EU law, uh, it's quite possible that the ambassador knows more about the EU than the EU itself. Uh, so Mr. Ambassador, thank you again for being here, and the microphone is yours. Thank you, and thank you for the Institute for Peace for organizing this event for us. I think it's probably one of the it's not the first event of Moldova in this institution. I hope not the last one. Um, as I said, when we were framing this conversation, I, it's just because of my background, as I used to work uh, in Brussels on previous enlargement of the European Union, I'm a, I'm a big believer in European Union as a peace project. Uh, I wanted to talk about Moldova's own trajectory now to the European Union and the I hope it's going to be a historical decision just in 10 days in Brussels, 15th of December, when we, we hope the EU leaders coming together will, will agree to opening the negotiations for accession for the Republic of Moldova. I think that's the highlight of our foreign policy, that's the focus of foreign policy, but also is the vision <laughs> that, that the President Sandu had and that would guide the transformation and modernization of Moldova for the next seven, ten years and hopefully will become the member of the EU. Uh, however, when I, um, when I came to DC a year ago, uh, I had very different concerns and uh, one of my the main two tasks that I had coming into this mission at that time, that was uh, uh, before we were getting into the winter last year, was uh, I had two tasks. One is to make sure that the US, as much as the other partners in Europe, continue supporting Ukraine to defend itself because it's also defending Moldova. We are the closest to the front line. And at that time, and even now, every morning, the first thing I do is opening the, the, the news, the Ukrainian news, uh, watching the front line. Um, and the second task was, again, is seeking the help of our partners, including on the U from the US, on how we can mitigate the Russian uh, hybrid attacks uh, that already we were seeing uh, were um, intensifying, especially over the last autumn. Just going back a year ago, I think the Russian plan that we know much more now about that was a very simple one, is using the weaponizing the energy. Moldova really had that vulnerability that we were 100% dependent uh, on Russian supply of mostly gas, but also electricity that was produced from burning the Russian gas. Uh, and Russia never hesitated to use that leverage. You know, previously it used the, used the trade uh, embargo as a way to leverage, but that was really one of the most difficult to overcome just because we use the Russian gas to hit our mostly private and public buildings. So uh, I arrived in September, in October already Russia cut the gas supply by 30%, and then 1st of December they cut by another 50%. Moldova is not a big consumer of energy still um, between uh, Transnistrian region and the rest of Moldova. We actually divided half and half of the consumption. So when Russia cut by 50%, we had a choice, the government had a choice, either to continue sharing that volume of gas or it was actually a much bolder decision, I think, politically, that the government decided they're not going to buy any more of Russian gas, and all the supplies that continue would go uh, only for the consumption of Transnistrian region. Uh, that meant that we really had to, to find solution, to find new supplies in a very short time. Uh, none of the governments in the 30 years of independence of Moldova actually ever addressed that issue of vulnerability. And just in few weeks, just in few weeks at that time, 
I think the Moldovan government, again, with the support of our partners, including the US, European partners as well, were able to secure a new uh, supply of gas from Europe. Russian plan was easy. You, you cut the gas supply, you, uh, which forces Moldova then to go to buy on European market. It just happened that it was seven times more expensive because everybody was struggling to find new sources of gas. Uh, because we have market economy, uh, it means that the final consumers will have to pay their energy bills for heating at sevenfold increase. That created an inflation of 35% last year. And there was genuine uh, people struggling, and there are more vulnerable population than ever that struggle even to pay the bills. As a result, we saw uh, public protests, including on the street, again, the government. Some of them, or most of them, probably were genuine uh, because really people were struggling. And the, again, the Russian plan was to use that protest and to infiltrate some of the violent elements among the protests, well-trained abroad, that would infiltrate and then provoke violence over overreaction from the police. That was the plan from the spring, and I think that was, um, we, we, we found many of those details, by the way, from the um, round of US sanctions that were announced. Um, uh, the second round was announced last June against some of the Russian agents who were involved in training some of those protest elements. Uh, I want to say, without going into much details, that Russian plan failed. I think on the, the again, what really helped us is that um, uh, many of our partners, primary European, but also the US, uh, supported us from those difficult moments. I, I keep repeating that the, the, the friends in need are friends in indeed, and we really saw um, who are our real friends are, uh, including from the U.S. It's unprecedented when the, when the administration, but the Congress adopted a substantial support for Moldova, about 300 million just to secure our um, energy, um, to provide uh, support for our energy security. Uh, some of the money, including the European, helped us to compensate uh, some of the costs, the rising costs for the uh, most vulnerable consumers, but also help us to look into future and reshape our gas grid and also electricity grid and to prepare us to be much more independent uh, in our future energy production uh, and supply. Uh, Russian failing on, on, on this scenario, of course, doesn't give up, and we see continuous efforts uh, to, um, um, uh, to try to change uh, and to influence both politics but also the population in Moldova. And there are many ramifications of that. Uh, most recently, we had elections, local elections, we saw a lot of um, uh, illegal man uh, funding going to uh, various new political projects in Moldova. Energy remains again um, another weapon that Russia tries to to continue to use. Most recently, even in the elections, we saw some promises of cheap gas supply coming from a very uh, untransparent offshore companies, most probably Russian sources, to very specific region that would vote for Russian candidates. Um, and then uh, most recently, again, trade embargo. Uh, Russia just last week introduced again trade uh, export embargo Moldovan fruits um, and vegetables, um, which many of our farmers still rely on. Um, and of course, disinformation and misinformation, uh, it's still very um, much, uh, much of it is controlled uh, by some of the Russian sources, which of course is a much difficult to overcome, especially for democracies, including Moldova, where you really have to balance on freedom of opinion, expression, freedom of speech, uh, and curtailing some of those disinformation sources that primary focuses on uh, um, propagating hate, especially towards Ukraine. Um, 
Also, I think this new reality is being also reflected in the updated national defense strategy, which was sent to the, which was uh, announced by President Sandu uh, a month ago and is now in the in the in the parliament. And I hope my my colleague here, uh, Deputy Speaker of the Parliament, Mihai Popshoi, can go into more details. Uh, so I really wanted to share those which I, I hope, um, at least positive, for me in one year, seeing how dire the situation was a year ago. And this winter, for instance, we are entering the winter, it's much confident, much, much better prepared, uh, probably the best prepared into the winter, because again, with the support from the US, Europeans, we were actually able to buy gas when it's cheaper in the summer. Uh, cheaper than what would have uh, the, be the price from Gazprom if they actually continued the, the, uh, the contract. And we, for the first time, we actually have enough gas in our reserves uh, to go through the winter, so even the fluctuation of prices wouldn't affect. So that required a really bold leadership. Of course, it was very risky, but as I said, uh, what doesn't kill you make you stronger. Uh, and we always managed to get through some of those challenges and provocation by the Russia to, uh, to become stronger. And I think this year we are definitely proved, again with the support of our partners in the US, Europeans, that we can overcome some of those challenges. Thank you. So, um, Ambassador, thank you very much for those remarks. Um, the, the explanation of the energy uh, steps that Moldova has taken is, is really hopeful. And uh, obviously, energy was one of the main vectors of Russian malign influence. So, um, wow, that's a lot of progress in one year. But um, thank you for framing. I think it's perfect for this discussion that we'll, that we'll be having. So, um, now I'd like to introduce uh, a little bit our two uh, distinguished guests and then um, have a little bit of a discussion. And I will do my utmost to save some time at the end for audience questions. Uh, Mihai Papshoi is Deputy Speaker of the Moldovan Parliament and Vice President and International Secretary of the ruling uh, Action and Solidarity Party of Moldova. As an expert in uh, Moldova's political dynamics as well as regional security developments, uh, he previously conducted research with a number of US think tanks uh, and institutions and worked for the NATO Center uh, in Moldova. So um, thank you very much, Mr. Speaker, for taking time to be with us today. Uh, Ambassador Bill Hill in the far chair is a global fellow at the Woodrow Wilson Center for Scholars. Uh, he's a retired Foreign Service officer, and Ambassador Hill was twice appointed as head of the OSCE mission to Moldova, where, uh, as I understand it, according to his bi biography, <laughs> he was, quote, charged with negotiation of a political settlement to the Transnistria conflict and facilitation of the withdrawal of Russian forces, arms, and ammunition from Moldova. Uh, wow, that's, an that's a very ambitious mandate. Um, and uh, Bill, I think I speak for all of us here and possibly for the entire country of Moldova when I say just how disappointed we are that you were uh, unable to resolve the Transnistria conflict in two tries uh, and escort the Russians out of Moldova. But, um, I understand you're still working with Moldova and Moldovans, and uh, so there's still hope yet. Uh, and, uh, but thank you also for being here and sharing this time with us. Um, Ambassador Hill, of course, remains um, one of the, US, uh, the foremost U.S. experts on Moldova, both either inside or outside the government. Uh, and of course, uh, esteemed former uh, Foreign Service colleague and a good friend to both Moldova and this institute. So thank, thanks again, Bill. Uh, and now I'll open with one question um, uh, for each of our panel members to get the conversation started, uh, and then we'll see where the conversation goes from there. And um, Speaker Papshoi, if I could begin with you, uh, and again, welcome to USIP. Thank you for, for being here during your visit. Uh, my question is this. Um, we're all waiting, hopefully, and dare I say expectantly, for the European Council decision uh, next week on uh, accession talks for Moldova and Ukraine. Um, in fact, as I was mentioning backstage, I'm even wearing my EU tie as a good luck charm, hope, hoping that the decision goes well. Um, Mr. Speaker, what are some of the specific steps that Moldova is currently taking? We already talked about um, energy, um, but there are some other vectors uh, for Russian malign influence 
not least of which uh, democratic interference, disinformation, corruption, and even Transnistria. Um, perhaps speak to us a little bit about what, what other things Moldova is doing to try to make itself more resilient in the face of Russia's malign influence. Thank you, and I really appreciate the opportunity of uh, presenting you uh, some of the successes that Moldova has achieved in the past two years, and of course some of the challenges that still remain. When it comes to Russia's malign influence, uh, as uh, it was mentioned already, as we speak, Moldova is de debating uh, the new national security strategy, which will hopefully be approved uh, this week. Well, it should be approved since we have an absolute majority in parliament. Uh, it is a belated document in the sense that if you ask a proper security expert in Moldova, and even anyone who follows the difficulties that Moldova has had in the past decades, they would tell you which entity is the main national security threat to Moldova. Yet, to this day, this has not been reflected in Moldova's national strategic documents. It is only this week that we will be voting in a national security strategy of Moldova, spelling out that Russia is the main national security threat of Moldova, in, and not only spelling it out, but also making actions taking actions in order to build resilience in our institutions with that particular threat in mind. Unfortunately, for far too long, Moldovan politicians have not only avoided this truth, but they've been actually actively engaging in promoting Russia's malign influence in Moldova, including and not limited to the propaganda, which some Moldovan politicians benefited directly from the broadcasting rights of Russian TV stations in Moldova. And, uh, of course, the political parties that the Russians have been sponsoring to do their bidding. Now that we've established clearly, albeit a bit late, that Russia is the main national security threat, we will have to invest more resources. Again, something that we should have been doing all this uh, 40 years, 30 years. But, ironically, it was also the, the, the Russians that have been inoculating this idea into the Moldovan public that security is a, uh, neutrality is a guarantee of security, which is, of course, cannot be further from the truth. No neutrality clause of any country has precluded an aggressor from taking advantage of the vulnerability of that country. But the fact that the Russians have promoted this idea that neutrality is a guarantee of security, now it's very difficult to have this discussion about alternatives to Moldova's security. But we are opening this discussion, and we are again spelling out in Moldova's national security document for the first time that we need to explore other avenues of ensuring Moldova's security, not just limiting ourselves to neutrality, and increasing our cooperation with NATO, as, again, you don't have to have a PhD in, in, in security studies to realize that for a country like Moldova, in the region that Moldova finds itself in, uh, such an alliance as NATO is the only guarantee of, of, of proper security. But it will take time for us to, to debate this in the public domain and to democratically engage with our citizens so that we break through the spell of Russian propaganda through this wall that has been built for 30 years that neutrality is a guarantee of security. And to add insult to injury, it is the, the sheer fact that it was only Russia that was violating Moldova's neutrality for these 30 years, maintaining unwanted military presence in Moldova, and actually committing itself to withdrawing those military presence from uh, under the 1999 OC summit in Istanbul, and failing to do so up to, to this day. So Moldova is, is clear in its, in its stance now, and will continue to support Ukraine, because we realize that the suffering and the sacrifice of Ukraine, it's not only for Ukraine's sake, it also to keep us safe as well. So we'll continue to provide our infrastructure and our, our support and our openness of our homes to, to our Ukrainian friends and neighbors. And we are very thankful to the international community for helping Ukraine, but also helping us in, in this uh, very difficult times. Uh, when it comes to, to Russia exploiting our vulnerability, they, they are now moving towards uh, exploiting the democratic process against our democratic future. They're trying to hijack our democratic elections in, in their favor. And that's why we had to take drastic measures to defend our democracy.
uh, by uh, uh, the constitutional court uh, declaring unconstitutional that party offshore, the oligarch that is a fugitive from Moldovan justice, and uh, will continue to defend Moldovan democracy. It doesn't give me any pleasure to be announcing that we had to, to uh, implement measures that preclude certain political parties from participating in the democratic process. But then when these political parties have been actively engaging in corrupting our citizens, and we've seen that time and time again, including in the Gagauzia election in the autonomous region just lately. And even though I was uh, sort of bragging at the beginning that we have 63% of seats in parliament and we have an absolute majority in parliament, there is no way how I can compete or any other political force in Moldova can compete against cash. I can tell Moldovan citizens that we are implementing robust reforms in uh, combating corruption, in building rule of law, in strengthening Moldova's security, in, in embracing and, and, and implementing and defending human rights in Moldova. But if somebody is offering that same citizen 100 euros or 100 dollars in cash, unfortunately nine times out of 10, and I, may, and I might be optimistic here, the people will take the money. And that's why we had to take measures, and thankfully our international partners and our citizens, frankly, understand that uh, difficult times require difficult measure, measures to be taken. And we are thankful that the international community has supported us throughout this time to build our resilience in the energy sphere, in our defense sector. And I must commend our, our Minister of Defense who have been so instrumental in doubling the Moldova's defense budget without necessarily using public resources just because of the openness and the generosity of our international partners, he managed to double the budget. But this year, we're also increasing, increasing the defense budget because we need to, to, to play, to invest our fair share as well. And in this, again, national security strategy, we are committed to increasing Moldova's budget in the upcoming years to 1% of GDP. Not quite, not quite there with the 2% of the NATO standard, but then again, the majority of NATO members are not quite fulfilling that standard. For us, 1% is a big, is a big uh, uh, target because we've always had about 0.3%, 0.4%. So we are making serious steps in defending and, and, and uh, increasing the resilience of our institutions. And when it comes to the uh, Transnistria region of Moldova, when it now, that hopefully we will start negotiations with the EU, this should be the biggest breakthrough, the biggest uh, opportunity also for the resolution of the conflict, of the peaceful resolution of the conflict. Because the business elites in the Transnistrian region, much like the rest of Moldova, they see the benefits of being part of such a big market, such a peaceful rule of law driven market as the European Union. And I'm very hopeful that the start of the negotiations will create this impetus that will kickstart the process in a way that we unfortunately haven't seen for 30 years. Speaker Popshoi, could we return maybe to the media environment? I know there have been legislative projects uh, and steps taken to try to limit Russia's dominance, uh, traditional dominance in Moldovan media. And given the size of the media market there, um, it, it, the model was not sufficient to generate a lot of new content from Moldova. And so you were, Moldova was, was depending on Russia and, and elsewhere for, for, for free content, essentially. Um, what steps has the parliament taken? Where, where is that headed in, in Moldova? As I mentioned, we've been in this very, very odd situation when some of Moldova's politicians who pretended to be pro-European were rebroadcasting Russian propaganda in Moldova, which was cannibalizing the advertisement market. Because you can imagine Russian federal TV channel with, what, 100 million or more euros for entertainment budget being put on the same legal footing to compete on the national Moldovan market with the Moldovan TV channel, which barely has a total budget of a million euros a year, if at all. That was an unlevel playing field. And, uh, with the start of the Russian aggression in Ukraine, and frankly, even before that, we, we were concerned, uh, but we were in opposition. But when the Russian aggression started, it took us a year, and I'm not uh, uh, at all happy that it, that it took us so long. 
but we had to weigh all the pros and cons. We were concerned about what our citizens are going to react, what our international partners are going to say, because after all, we are the biggest promoters of freedom of, of uh, media and freedom of speech in Moldova. And we didn't take this decision lightly. But then when December came, and it was a year into the Russian aggression in Ukraine, the European Union shut down Russian propaganda in the EU, Russia Today, and we figured if it's good for you to take these measures, then it's about time that we take care of it as well. So we shut down Russian federal TV channels in Moldova. Again, very belated decision, but we addressed that. But it will take years for us to actually remedy the damage that has been done in these 30 years. Uh, and also we need to invest more in quality content in Russian language in Moldova, mm -hmm. so that citizens or Russian speakers have uh, something to, to, uh, to, to watch, be it entertainment or, or news in the language that they understand, proper quality content. And uh, we also have now a newly created institution, a strategic communication unit that we modeled after the, our friends from the Baltics that will oversee the national media environment and on social media to, to find and, and analyze and pinpoint where the, the, uh, the narratives come from and where the attacks are coming to us and that the other proper institutions, the national regulator and the audiovisual and the intelligence service, so they can take action in due time. Mm -hmm. And we've been proactive in defending our uh, informational security. A bit late, but as they say, better late than never. And we're taking our information security a lot more serious. And uh, again, we'll continue to invest in, in our security and information security. And uh, we need to provide those alternatives to our citizens. And also in this national security strategy, that's also an important element in building resilience in our institutions. Because we understand that when you live in a Russian propaganda bubble, when your citizens are left one-on-one -on -one with, with, with Russian propaganda, uh, that is inviting and creating the, the, and increasing the fertility of the ground for the Russians to exploit. So we've addressed that, thankfully, uh, but it will take time, as I mentioned, to, to remedy the damage that is done. And I have to thank uh, American taxpayers and, and USAID for supporting independent media in Moldova, because without the support of the United States and European Union, uh, it would not have been possible for, for those uh, few independent media in Moldova to be able now to compete and to win uh, against uh, the Russian elements that they are trying to, to promote in Moldova. Thank you very much. That's that's really useful, interesting perspective on how far things have come. But speaking speaking of how far things have come, Ambassador Hill, if I if I could turn to you, uh, help us with some perspective on on how far Moldova has come in building its resilience against uh, Russian malign influence. Um, what, in your view, remains to be done? I'm thinking particularly uh, in the Transnistria space and how much things have changed there um, over the years. Uh, and what can the U.S. and other friends of Moldova do to, to help Moldova as it, as it builds up its resilience? Um, well, thanks very much, first of all, for having me. And I guess I'll start off with following the introduction, you were the mea culpa. Indeed, I didn't get it solved. Uh, but I, I do, you know, if there's one thing, did you accomplish anything in two terms uh, as head of the OSCE mission? When I arrived in Moldova in June of 1999, there were over 500 Russian tanks, APCs, and mobile artillery, uh, plus uh, uh, tons and tons thousands of trucks and other pieces of Russian military equipment uh, in the Transnistrian region and uh, 40,000 metric tons, that's f metric tons, not pounds, of ammunition at Kolbasna. Uh, all of the tanks, APCs, mobile artillery, other military equipment, uh, and half of the ammunition are gone. As Russian forces crossed the Dnipro through Kherson towards Mykolaiv and the Ukrainians successfully resisted them. Imagine what might have happened had there been a second front uh, from uh, out of Transnistria into Odessa Oblast with that military equipment. So it was 20 years later, but it turns out actually uh, there was something to what we did uh, there. We, we, for various other circumstances, uh, we didn't get done everything we wished to, but this is emblematic of, of some of the changes 
four quick points and what's the same and what's changed. Uh, two things are really the same in Moldova is when the Soviet Union fell apart or when I was first there, uh, actually I was first there as um, uh, detailed to the um, Department of Defense and OSD policy and visiting Moldova in the mid-90s as a DOD official. Um, the Russians still look at Moldova, yeah, just Moldova, Ukraine, Belarus is their Western perfect. It's basically, they admitted, recognize them as independent, but the Russians, certainly I get this out of personal dealings, they still consider that it, it's theirs. It's, it's, and it's not just Soviet, it's part of the Russian Empire. Bessarabia first was annexed by Russia in 1812. Um, and th this, this is an underlying attitude, well, independence, okay, as long as you vote the same way we do everywhere, then you're perfectly independent to vote exactly as we tell you to. Um, either the, the other thing in Moldova is that Moldova is a, for a small country, it is linguistically and ethnically complex with a number of minorities. And in particular, uh, Deputy Speaker Papshoi has referred to it, the, the, the extent of Russian language is broader than one might surmise if you just looked at the statistics for the last names of population, whether you know, ethnic Romanian, Russian, Ukrainian, or whatever. And it's, it's, it's been an ongoing problem because culturally, the Russian-speaking population, for various reasons, has been prone to getting influence from Russia. You know, and whether, you know, if it's some things, if it's reading Pushkin or, or watching the opera Boris Gudunov, it seems relatively harmless. If it's other things, as a Russian media environment, and I lived in it, it was a Russian media environment because of the strength of the Russian media as opposed to the Romanian language. And that's been very hard to deal with, and it remains a problem, which means that the, 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 the avenue for Russian uh, influence uh, has been very stubborn and persistent. What's changed? Well, you know, the Russians used to, when I first came there, the Russians used to penetrate, get a lot of influence into Moldova through Trans the Transnistrian region. 2014, 2015, that changed. As I, one of my senior Moldovan friends said, now Ukraine's on our side. Uh, and the Russians don't get into uh, Moldova through uh, Ukraine and Transnistria. And that's very important because it has led to a waning, not an absence, but a waning of, of the, the power of Russian influence through Transnistria. The other thing, over 30 years, Russia or Transnistria has changed in that um, overtly, Russian uh, staffed and run institutions have receded a bit and local businesses and institutions that, that are run by locals have become more influential and more determinative in how Transnistria looks at things. It's not absolute. The Russians still have people there. They have influence there. The FSB in particular is very well represented. Uh, my estimation, probably a bigger danger right now than the uniform Russian military uh, who are there. But the Russians can't get to uh, Moldova as much through Transnistria, so they've been trying to get to them through energy. Uh, I was working with the government when you know, Kazakh came down in 2021, made a, you know, uh, it was really a, a, a nice offer to the Moldovans with a poison pill inside. Uh, and when Chisinau recognized uh, the failings of the offer, the Russians immediately resorted to energy present, uh, pressure. And the other thing they have done is, is the electoral influence. You know, I, I, you know, I can't do everything, but you know, uh, they have come, you know, especially through the Shore Party, uh, just over you know, trying to buy the electorate. And the risk to Moldova here, uh, despite the progress that the current government has made, uh, taking advantage of opportunity, moving, really, on the way, I hope, uh, the hope the vote of the council will be good, you know, this month, and I presume it will be because the signs are there. But, you know, Moldova clearly has done very well in moving towards eventual EU membership. And the candidacy process, you know, has its difficulties. Every country that's been through it knows that. But I, I, I see success there. But politically, the government is still vulnerable to Russian political 
you know, Russian interference in the political process because of this portion of the electorate uh, through poverty and through linguistic uh, orientation still remains vulnerable to the media propaganda, the political propaganda, and the simply buying of votes. Uh, and um, I don't have time to go into what they're doing, but it, it, it really, it, it's, it's something where <clears throat> thankfully it looks like militarily thanks to what the Ukrainians have done, the Russians militarily are not going to get to Moldova. Uh, and thankfully, Moldova and Ukraine, the current government, seem very much on the same page, supportive of each other, proceeding together towards the EU. It's in Moldova, the, the Russians get there through an oligarch in refuge in Israel, and this is the big danger now, is that uh, local elections just occurred. The results were mixed, inconclusive, I would say. Uh, PAS didn't do as well as you wanted to. Uh, it was not by no means uh, a, a failure, but it's clear that the political battles for the presidency in 2024 and the battle, the parliamentary elections, which must, must come by mid-2025, um, are going to be, you know, require serious effort um, and I, I think uh, my friend, Mr. Popshoy, has outlined the real problem is, you know, how do you deal with a political force that has strength in the country but does not accept the rules of the game, does not accept basic democratic procedures, principles, in other words, is, is not going to play fair and is dedicated to restoring uh, Russian influence and thwarting what seems to be a desire of a clear majority of the Moldovan population. So that is what I see. You know, things have changed in the sense of how the Russians have been coming at Moldova and seeking to keep Moldova in their orbit. But the basic problem really hasn't changed that much in, in 30 years. It's more acute now because of the war next door. Uh, but it, it's not a dissimilar problem to what I first witnessed when I came there in the mid-1990s. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much, Bill. We put a lot out there on the table. We've talked about most of the, the major vectors of Russia's malign influence in Moldova. Um, I think this would be a great opportunity now. We have a, a very Moldova-supportive, uh, Moldova-friendly audience. Uh, we've got some real expertise in the audience. So uh, I would like to uh, open the floor to audience members who would like to ask questions. And we have a microphone back here. Ellie, I think we have someone up here. Oh, yeah, and there's Kirtika. Okay. Thank you very much. My name is Anna Seneva. I'm here in a private capacity, but I work for a religious organization, and I'm a member of a religious minority that is currently under heavy crackdown in Russia, like pretty much any religious minority. I'm from Russia. I'm a U.S. citizen right now. And I'm wondering, I have a question for Mr. Deputy Speaker. Um, in your policies and in your plan in joining, hopefully joining the EU, what is your strategy on um, supporting civil society and particularly freedom of religion or belief? Because um, Russian government and the Russian Orthodox Church infamous, infamously have been for decades bringing forward a strategy both inside the country and in the neighboring countries to divide and conquer, to stigmatize minorities of any kind, and with the, uh, with the objective of getting governments in other countries to crack down on any elements that aren't welcome in Russia either. So to, just to uh, crack down on any civil society, journalists, uh, NGOs, religious minorities. And I think they've been very successful in a lot of countries. So just wondering if you're you know, aware of the strategy and what your plan is. Well, I must say that uh, I'm incredibly, incredibly proud of our record when it comes to supporting and promoting minorities in Moldova, all minorities. We have in our faction in Parliament ethnic minorities, linguistic minorities, religious minorities, and we are proud of the diversity that we represent within our faction in Parliament. Because in our effort to transform Moldova, we need to make use of every single citizen's capacity to participate. I am very proud to say that in the Republic of Moldova we have one of the best uh, records in uh, women empowerment. We have 40% of women in, in, uh, in Parliament. 
thanks to the double quota that we implemented. And I have a suspicion that in the next election, our list is going to be 50-50. And uh, in this respect, uh, we try to be uh, what Russia is not. We are trying to be uh, as European as we can be, and we are trying to be as welcoming and accommodating to all our citizens, no matter the differences that we have. That has been a big credo and is a big credo of our president, Maya Sandu, and a big expectation of our citizens. So we are incredibly open and we are incredibly supportive of civil society. This year we're going to implement a fund to support uh, uh, also media in Moldova, civil society, and uh, they are a reliable partner for us in our European aspirations. So uh, we are as open as we can be. Of course, we can do better and we will do better. Thank you for that question. Let's go up here. Ambassador. Thank you. Uh, I'm Pamela Smith, and I was U.S. Ambassador to Moldova some 20 years ago, but it seems like yesterday in some ways. <laughs> it's wonderful to see so many people so interested in this wonderful country. I was fascinated, Deputy Speaker, um, when you talked about the evolving attitude toward NATO in Moldova. Um, when I was there, neutrality seemed like um, perhaps a way to keep Russia at bay. Uh, maybe that's what Russians wanted Moldovans to think. But anyway, could you speak more, please, um, about uh, the kind of relationship you foresee or wish to uh, acquire with NATO? Thanks. You're totally right. In the 1994 Constitution, the neutrality clause was put there in the hope it's not a good strategy, but nonetheless, in the hope of shaming Russia in withdrawing its troops and munitions from the Republic of Moldova. The clause of neutrality was put there in 1994, it is still there, and the Russian troops are also there. So that didn't help. That was the primary idea behind neutrality clause. Uh, there wasn't much of an evolution in our perception of neutrality in the 30 years. And when I was working for the NATO Center in Kishinev 2008, 2009, 2010, I was hoping that there could be a change. And when in 2014, after the annexation of Crimea, there was an uptick in NATO support in Moldova. It went from about traditional 25% and went to about 35%. And then in a couple of years, it went back down to the traditional 25%. And it was a shame because it was clear uh, what the main threat in the region is. And it was also clear what the main avenue to mitigate that threat is, but because of the Russian propaganda and quite frankly because of the political elites in Moldova were not proactive enough in advocating for NATO and discussing the alternatives to, to ensuring Moldova's security, we are stuck with the reality that we find ourselves in. We now try to mitigate some of the da uh, damage and we are much more open mm. in discussing the alternatives to, to neutrality, but it needs to be a democratic process. We need to, we cannot impose a change of, of, of Moldova's uh, security stance. We need to persuade our voters that a democratic change and our uh, closer relations with NATO are the proper way forward, and we are committed to doing just that. Thank you. Another one back here. Thank you. Uh, my name is Matthew Murray, and I wanted to ask the Deputy Speaker if he could talk about what you've done to defend the banking sector, the finance sector, uh, to create resiliency within, you know, the financial world to resist Russian money laundering, to resist the use of conflict loans, which were, both of which were at the root of the prior financial crises in the country. So where do you feel Moldova stands on building up the resiliency of the finance sector, including through the central bank and, and the role of the parliament in that? Thank you. We have come a very long way from the banking fraud when 12% of GDP were siphoned off and, and uh, Moldovan taxpayers ended up uh, footing that bill and will continue to pay for, for that hole in the budget for years to come. But the banking sector has become a lot more resilient. And I'm reminded every day when I go to the bank about that resilience. Because as a politician, as a uh, politically exposed person, I have to provide all kinds of paperwork to, to the bank every time for like 100 euros or 500 euros or whatnot, any transaction. It's, uh, but I'm reminded of why that is in place. And I am, uh, of course, frustrated by the paperwork, but I am also very 
unhappy that that was not in place when the fraud actually happened. Because if everything was in place and all, all those mechanisms were in place, then Moldovan taxpayers would not be left hanging with, with that in incredible burden for years to come to be paid. But now the banking sector and the central bank and all, all the, uh, the private banks have implemented robust measures that uh, uh, the threat of the banking sector being used against the Republic of Moldova is a lot lower. And uh, the banking sector now, we are looking at, uh, in our effort to, to de-oligarchization, de it's a tough word, uh, to reduce the influence of oligarchs in Moldova, the banking sector has an important role to play. And given that all of our oligarchs are now fugitives and are outside the country, uh, the fact that the banking sector has all those mechanisms in place to keep them at bay and uh, not allow them to use the banking sector to increase their malign influence or the Russian uh, influence, I'm confident that uh, the measures that have been put in place will uh, keep uh, those nefarious uh, influences at bay. Unfortunately, what is a lot more difficult to mitigate is the cash. The money mules that the Russians have been using now in elections, we have the 10K limit, which is like everywhere else, and we cannot uh, sort of address that because then we would hurt a lot of law-abiding citizens. But they were exploiting and, and using money mules to carry cash into the country to buy those votes in, in elections. So we are trying to mitigate that at the exchange office. Uh, it's a mixed result so far, but that's part of the bigger societal effort and the bigger reform that we're implementing in the justice sector and the anti-corruption center so that we can mitigate some of those uh, avenues. But in terms of the banking sector, I'm confident, knock on wood, that uh, uh, we'll never be in a position that we were 10 years ago where we ended up being known as you know, the country that, that allowed itself to 12% to of GDP being stolen. That's, that's not a tagline that, that I want to see for my country. I have enough questions for the next four hours, but I'm, I'm mindful of the time. Um, we have just a few minutes left, and this side of the room has been hogging all the questions. I want to give this side of the room a chance. If there are questions, sir, you want to? Good afternoon. Oh, Ellie's El 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 coming with the microphone. Uh, thank you. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, I'm Lieutenant Colonel Poparado, uh, in a National Army of Republic of Moldova officer. Uh, currently, I'm a student at the National uh, Defense University here in Washington, D.C., doing my master's degree in strategic uh, studies. And um, one of my paper actually is uh, Russian uh, influence in Moldova. So I will uh, take this advantage to ask again, Mr. Hill, um, a question regarding uh, Moldova and Russian influence. So in your opinion, uh, what is uh, Russian center of gravity in, in Moldova? And what are the critical vulnerabilities that can we target uh, in, in order to uh, make this center of gravity to fall apart. Thank you. Uh, well, thank you. And um, I instructed a couple of your predecessors when I was on the faculty of the National War College. Um, the center, you know, I, I think you can deduce from what I said, the center of gravity of Russian influence right now is, is the Moldovan public is what they, they need to do um, is to manipulate uh, enough of the electorate uh, so as to be able to take control uh, or participate in control of one or more important institutions in Moldova. In Moldova, clearly, that's going to be the parliament. Um, the, um, they were successful in electing a Bash Khan in Gagauzia, uh, but fortunately that, that, that influence can be limited and has already had a, a reaction locally as well as on the national level. But there is a real risk in the electorate because oh, historically the electorate has gone back and forth between center-right, center-left governments, and it's been shown that um, some of the, the, the center-left governments have been overtly uh, or uh, moderately uh, pro-Russian or subject to Russian influence. And I think that's what the, uh, 
what Moscow is trying to do now, uh, both covertly and overtly. Uh, and the Molgo, you know, the government is engaged in a number of measures already that, that Mr. Popshoy has, has mentioned. Um, there are others that, that will have to be done, uh, you know, identifying covert operators, the, the money mules, uh, many, many other things of trying to sneak people into Moldova. And what they do, do overtly through media, through disinformation, uh, and in simply buying votes. Uh, the Shore Party has special stores where people go and get to buy stuff at a discount and other stuff as long as they vote the correct way uh, in the Orche region, one of the regions, and you know, try to expand that. In any case, that's, uh, that, the, the politics, ironically, is now really because Moldova has, Transnistria has transformed a bit. Moldova has dealt relatively successfully with the energy problem. And it's now central is the political challenge that is posed by this interference. That's my perception. And that, I think, over the next year or so is going to be the real, the most important fight uh, for those who wish to keep Moldova on its present course. Thank you. So I think we can do one more quick question, and then I'm going to give uh, Deputy Speaker Popshoy the opportunity to give us a last word. I think there was one more on this side. No? <laughs> Let's go back over here. Thank you. Thank you so much. As Riyad Dazimer from Georgia, currently the Fletcher School of Diplomacy uh, uh, PhD candidate. Um, I have a problem about question about uh, the topic of disinformation in Moldova. You, uh, uh, Deputy Speaker, you address some aspects of it. Uh, could you let us know what are some of the critical outstanding uh, um, areas as it relates to Russian disinformation in Moldova where experts and Western allies could help more and um, expedite the process, hopefully? Well, as I mentioned, the institution that we are building now uh, headed by our former Minister of Interior, Anna Revenko, the Strategic Communication Unit. Uh, we hope that uh, with the help of our international partners, we'll be able to uh, provide enough capacity to this institution to be indeed the bulwark against the, the uh, Russian influence uh, online and offline, and uh, so that the other institutions uh, can take actions. But also we need to be more proactive at the societal level. We need to uh, educate the citizens uh, so that they can understand what are the, the threats towards Moldova security. Because now, having lived in the Russian propaganda bubble, sometimes you find the situations that are really heartbreaking and painful to, 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 to take when you have a citizen who is denying the fact and the horror of, of the Russian aggression in Ukraine, while in the neighboring house you have Ukrainian refugees living. So when you have this sort of reality and this sort of, of uh, pernicious Russian propaganda, uh, it will take a long time for us to be able to break through. But that's where we need to, to invest a lot more. That's where uh, I mentioned that we're now channeling our resources and hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll be successful in creating uh, in a public broadcaster a channel that is in Russian language that will provide quality content that we try to win over some of those uh, citizens who have been living in this Russian propaganda bubble. But there is a lot more to be done also in the political realm, that the Russians have been using political parties uh, to advocate their agenda. But this is an effort that we need to, to uh, mitigate together as a society. And uh, I'm confident that with the support of our international partners and on the way to our European accession, uh, we'll be able to address the challenge. Yeah, thank you for that question. And fantastic haircut, by the way. Um, so uh, the, the deputy speaker's comments actually are, are a good reminder that, you know, Moldova is not alone in dealing with, with Russian malign influence. Dare I say it, even here in the United States, we have at times had our challenges in detecting and resisting uh, Russia's malign influence. And so um, one of the, the takeaways, I hope, from this session is that there's uh, even more that we can be doing with other countries that are victims of, of Russia's malign influence to uh, share experiences, share best practices, share techniques, share technologies, basically anything that can help our societies 
um, resist uh, the, the messaging, resist the influence, resist the corruption, resist all of the ways in which Russia tries to penetrate and to gain influence in, in, our, in our societies. And so um, with that, any last words, uh, Mr. Deputy Speaker? I just want to mention that uh, after 30 years of uh, dealing with this uh, uh, luggage without a handle, the community of independent states, which isn't much of a community and not a lot of independence being allowed to these members, we are exiting now and we've been voting by the dozens all kinds of uh, multilateral agreements that we had in the CIS. And uh, Moldova is taking ownership of its independence, of its sovereignty, and we are thankful for our international partners for supporting us in these challenging times. Moldova wants to be something that uh, it was denied. It wants to be a proper European state to return to the European family of nations so that in Moldova people can live in peace comfortably, pray to whoever they want to pray, love whoever they want to love, vote for whoever they want to, to vote. And uh, we are committed to providing all those uh, uh, rights and freedoms to our citizens. And thanks to the generous support of our partners in the European Union and in the transatlantic community, I'm confident that we can mitigate uh, the challenges that our societies are facing. And we'll continue to stand with Ukraine and we count of all of our international partners in uh, doing just that. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you'll all help me in uh, thanking um, Deputy Speaker Papshoi and Ambassador Hill for this interesting session. Thank you for listening to this event. If you'd like to listen to more events or explore our other podcasts, visit usip.org forward slash podcasts.